chapter 10, where Jesus was walking along on a journey, and this guy runs up to him, and he says, so what can I do to get this life that you're talking about, to be a part of your kingdom that you keep talking about? What can I do to be a part of this thing you keep telling me is good news? And Jesus says to him, he goes, what do the scriptures say? And the guy says, oh, I've kept everything that's ever been in scripture. I've never made a mistake. I'm perfect. And Jesus is like, okay, um, sure, okay. And um, maybe you've met somebody like this, you know? Somebody who's like, I've never made a mistake. Maybe you've dated somebody like this and you didn't date them very long because you were like, I'm gonna make mistakes and if they're not gonna admit to making mistakes, all the blame's gonna come on me. So this isn't gonna go anywhere. And so anyways, this guy says, I've kept every command. I've never broken a single one of them. And he, he even says this, he says, even when I was a kid, I've never made a mistake. And so Jesus tells him something. He says, hey, uh, there's one thing you still have to do. Sure, okay, you say you've never made a mistake. Give all your money away to the poor. And it says the man went away sad because he was very rich. And he was like, if I had to choose between my riches and Jesus, I'd pick riches. And what Jesus was not saying is that we have to give away everything in order to have a relationship with him and be part of his kingdom. But he was trying to get the guy to see that he hadn't ever lived without making a single mistake. He hadn't kept all the commands. He just thought he had. And so Jesus was suddenly reminding him that he was wrong. One of the commands is to have no other God come before God. No God like money. And clearly this guy would rather have his riches than have the gospel. And before we get too hard on this guy, before we're like, wow, what a loser. How could he do this? Sometimes we're like that. There's things that we think, okay, the gospel means good news. That's a good thing. I want good things. But sometimes it's much easier to embrace something that's easy than it is to embrace the gospel, even though it's good. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at every time the word gospel is used in the book of Mark. And we've been talking about what is the good news? Why is Jesus coming good news? Why should we care today? And this story I just told you is followed by one of these passages in the book of Mark where Jesus talks about the gospel, the good news. And so that's our preface to get us into our passage today in Mark chapter 10, verses 23 to 31. So Jesus, right after he says this to this man and he goes away sad, looks around at his disciples and he says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus talked about the gospel, most of the time he was talking about this idea of kingdom, as we've talked about previously. But the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Who can actually enjoy the kingdom? Who can get in? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up and he says, we've left everything to follow you. That rich guy wasn't willing to leave his money to follow you. We've literally left everything. The disciples left their jobs, they left their families to follow Jesus. And Jesus says this, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come eternal life. That many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
So I want to talk a little bit about what Jesus is saying here because he, he seems to be saying some crazy stuff as I read it. I'm like, are, are you serious? What are you talking about here? And then verse 31, I mean, this could be a quote right from Yoda. You know, many of the first will be last and the last first. <laughs> My Yoda voice I've been practicing a lot. Um, but it sounds like something Yoda would say. Like, what does it really mean in everyday life? I've lost everybody now. Everybody's just going to be thinking about Yoda. Anybody watching The Mandalorian with Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda's the cutest thing on the planet. I'm just going to go on, on record. Um, anyway, though, so Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says it's hard for rich people to get into or enjoy the good news that I'm offering. It's hard for them to get into the kingdom. Now, this was crazy to a first century Jewish person. Because to the first century Jew, being rich meant that you were blessed by God. The more spiritual you were, the more rich you were. So if you walked around and you saw someone who was really rich, you're like, they must be super spiritual, and God is rewarding them for being spiritual, and so they are rich. If you were poor, they assumed you were doing something wrong in your life. And so essentially, they saw religion and moral behavior as a way to get something from God. Now, before we were like, wow, how backwards. There's a lot of people in North America who think this way. Like, if I go to church, and I keep all the rules, and I do everything right, God needs to give me money, he needs to give me health, he needs to give me happy relationships, and everything needs to work out for me. So the first century you saw said, if you were rich, you were spiritual. If you were rich, you were blessed by God. Um, Jesus explains that that simply isn't the case. He said there's spiritual poor people, there's spiritual rich people, and being spiritual, being spiritually mature means money doesn't control you, whether you have little money or you have a lot of money. I know some people who have very little money and yet money controls their life. And I know people who have a lot of money and are very wise with it and very generous with it and it doesn't control them. But Jesus says that the rich can only get into the kingdom through great difficulty. Uh, he uses this really strong example here. He says a camel would have to fit through the eye of a needle. He said that's what it's like for a rich person to embrace the gospel to get into the, cam uh, to get into the kingdom. Camels are huge. They're ginormous. And needles, eyes of needles are not very big. So I started thinking about this. Because Jesus doesn't say it can't happen. He says it's very hard. The apostles, the disciples say it's impossible. And he says, oh, no, it's not impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. But he doesn't say that it is um, impossible. He just says it's hard. So I started thinking, how could you get a camel to do that? And uh, I've decided that the only answer is a blender. Right? If you blended up the camel, you could eventually get him through the eye of a needle. I know. We, we don't want to harm camels. But I started thinking about this. The only way a rich person is getting into the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying is, is through a lot of pain. It's going to be hard for them. It's going to be painful for them. It's not going to be an easy thing. If you're going to get a camel through there, you're going to have to blend him up, and that's not going to be fun for the camel. Right? And he says, if a rich person is going to embrace my gospel, it's going to be painful. And most people are going to avoid that pain if he wasn't. So we're uh, mainline adjacent here. And so we have to talk about wealth for a moment because Jesus talks about it here. In fact, Jesus talked about money and wealth more than he talked about heaven and hell. And so it was apparently very important to them. He, he recognized how often it comes up in our life. 
And uh, I remember when I moved here to start a church, people told me, they're like, don't go there. Don't go to this area. They're like, people have money here. They're never going to listen to what you have to say about Jesus because they're okay. Their lives are good. They don't feel like they're missing anything. They feel like they have everything. They said, where you need to go is to an impoverished area. Go to an area where people are poor, struggling. And they said there, people know they need something because they're lacking something. But if you go to a place where people aren't lacking anything, they're not open to the fact that they need something. Now, I came here because I felt like this is the area God was directing me to, and I trust that God knows better than I do. I didn't want to go where it would be more convenient or easy. I wanted to go where he told me to go. But it's going to be a painful process for the rich to learn to live in love like Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's like, if you have money, if you have resources, if you're wealthy, just know it's going to be harder for you to embrace the idea that you need a new king in your life. Money never satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. Only Jesus does. But if you have money, it's hard to believe that. Now, the disciples were really curious about this, though, because they're like, okay, that guy wants his money over following you, Jesus. We've given up everything. What do we get? Like, shouldn't we get some kind of bonus, like some sign-up bonus, because we sided with you, Jesus? We gave up everything. They left their homes to follow Jesus. This rich man would rather have his money than Jesus, but the disciples had left their money, their friends, their families, what was familiar, to travel around with this rabbi and to teach about what it would look like to live and love like Jesus. And Jesus says something crazy here. This is one of these things where I read and I'm like, I gotta read this again to make sure I'm not misreading this. He says, anything you lose for the sake of the gospel, you'll get more of. And I'm like, okay, that's easy to say. Like, maybe when Jesus comes and he actually rules and reigns on this earth, or maybe in the next life. And no, he clarifies. He says, right now at this time. Right here, right now. Now, I often think about the gospel as something that only affects our afterlife, right? That's something churches talk about a lot. Like, embrace Jesus. That way you can spend eternity with him. And you're like, yeah, but right now I could use some Jesus, you know? Um, Jesus always talks about the gospel as something that affects our present life, not just our afterlife. The gospel, according to Jesus, has real-world implications right now. He says, you give up your home for the sake of the gospel, you'll get a new home, a better home. I'm like, that's a, that's a crazy thing to say. Now, pastors have taken this verse and manipulated these verses, and they're like, see what Jesus says here? Give me your home, and God will give you a better home. Give me your car. God will give you a better car. Give me your money so I can buy a jet, and God will give you more money and a higher paying job. That's not the promise that Jesus is making here. And I'm going to talk about what I think he is saying uh, versus what he's not. But I've heard people sometimes say this, like, you, got, you want a bigger house? Just give it to me. I'll take your house for the Lord's sake, you know, and then you'll get a bigger one, right? Like, that sounds really good. But if you want to give me your house, by the way, I'll take it. But I can't promise you that God's going to give you a better one. Uh, if you want to give me your car, I'll take it. But there's no promise that you're going to get a, get a better one. That's not what God is saying here. Remember, the good news, the gospel, is Jesus announcing the start of his kingdom on earth. And the church is supposed to be a small reflection of God's big vision for the whole planet. How the church operates, how the church thinks, how it functions is supposed to be a small glimpse. It's supposed to be a sneak peek of what's to come. You know when there's a new TV show coming out and they release a teaser or a trailer for a new movie and you're like, oh, sneak peek, I'd like to see that. 
that's essentially what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that says, you know what, if that's what it looks like for Jesus to rule and reign, I want that everywhere. I want that to be every across the whole planet. Now, a lot of times that's not what happens with church, right? We see things in churches and we're like, I do not want that across the whole planet. I don't want that anywhere. Um, you hear about abuse and you hear about scandals and you hear about people manipulating funds and you're like, that's not what we want. But the church is supposed to function as this picture of Jesus's vision for the world. It's supposed to be a picture of uh, the weak not being oppressed by the strong, the poor having a voice as well as the rich, people from different backgrounds joining together for a shared mission to make the world better by living and loving like Jesus. So what is, what is Jesus talking about here when he says this? When you, he says, if you've left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children, you've left fields, you've left what you're familiar with, and you're going to receive a hundred times that. What does that mean? Well, when I left Tennessee, I left my mom, my dad, and my brother and my sister. I left the place where I grew up and where I uh, knew. So here's my dad in the middle here and my mom. My brother and my sister. My brother's been like my best friend. He, I was 16 when he was born, so I was more like the fun uncle than a real brother. And uh, I, I love my family. I miss my family. Like I, my, my sister lived down the street from my mom and dad. My brother's away in college, but he lives there. And like I miss being able to hang out with them. I miss being able to go to family functions. But for the sake of the gospel, I moved to Philadelphia. Because I believe that Jesus Christ really lived and died and came back to life. And I think he really invites people to experience the presence of God and to live and love like he did. And I think that will change the world. And I was like, God, I want to be about what you're doing in the world. And I felt him telling me to come to the region of Philadelphia. But that meant saying goodbye to my family. Like the easier thing would have been. I'll just take a job down the street and live near my family and I'll be able to spend every holiday with them and I'll be able to be there as my brother. Every time I see him, he's like another foot taller and another 10 pounds heavier. And I'm like, what's happening? Like, uh, you look so different. Um, I'm missing those things. But for the sake of the gospel, I wanted people to have a safe place to explore who Jesus was and what spirituality was like. And I could have said, like, there's churches up there, but I felt like God was telling me to come and start a place where people could come in and ask questions and they didn't have to believe before they felt like they could belong. I felt like the good news of knowing God and living in his love was too good not to share. So I left the place that I knew and I came here. I left my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister. Um, I miss my brother. Like, we've had so many crazy fun times together. We used to just go out and set things on fire. You can do that in Tennessee. In Philadelphia, they arrest you. In Tennessee, they're just like some rednecks over there, you know? Um, I miss my brother, but God has given me many new brothers. Justin's become like a brother to me. Sean, Brad, you know, people that I've met up here, you've become like brothers to me. I hung out with Steve this week, and that guy, like, we have just as many crazy adventures as my brother back home did. I had one brother back home and now I have many brothers. God does that. I miss my sister Rachel. We were like thick as thieves and we would always do everything together. But God's given me new sisters. Like Chelsea and Meg and Angie, Valeria. You, you guys are like new sisters to me. Um, I miss my family but God's given me a new family. 
I've left my mom and dad, but God has given me many new spiritual fathers and mothers here. There are older people in the faith here who have come around me and taught me things. And I've got new moms and dads. Like uh, Justin's father, Sam. Uh, he's become a spiritual father to me, and he speaks into my life and encourages me and comes alongside me. I've left my home, the place that I knew and was familiar with, and I knew how things worked. I knew where to eat and where not to, and where to go after dark and where not to. But Philly is my home now. Go birds, right? <laughs> like, I've left what I knew, but now I have a new home. Most people look at these verses and say, well, God's going to give me something physically. But what I found was God changed something inside of me emotionally and spiritually. He changed the way that I see people. He changed the way I feel about people and places. I don't see random people out here. I see family. I don't look and say, man, this city, what is the problem with this? I look at it and say, this is home. When I fly in now from being out of town and I see Philadelphia, I don't think there's that city. I'm like, this is home. This is where I belong. So with this promise, though, Jesus is also telling us the gospel is dangerous. Notice what he says. He says in verse 30, you'll receive a hundred times what you have. You're going to get more brothers and sisters than what you were born with, more mothers and homes than what you started with. But he also says you're going to also have persecutions. He says the gospel is dangerous. The gospel never promises safety for this life. It promises danger. But danger in the pursuit of changing the world. Danger that's worth it. There's some dangers that are worth it. There are some risks that are worth it. Um, sometimes I'll talk to uh, young men and they're like, there's this girl I like and I'm thinking about asking her out, you know. And there's this fear there, right? Like, what if I ask her out and she says no? And I'm going to be devastated. You know? But if you never ask her out, if you never take that risk, right, there's never the chance for a relationship to happen. So sometimes danger isn't always something to be avoided. Sometimes the best things lie on the other side of danger. And the gospel is dangerous. He says persecutions are going to be multiplied as you sacrifice for the gospel. If you decide that the good news of Jesus Christ, living and loving like Jesus and introducing new people to live and love like him, if you decide this is something that I want to do and get passionate about, Jesus says you should expect some persecutions. You shouldn't expect for there not to be pushback. If you're trying to push back darkness and change the world, you should expect for the world to push back. But if Jesus is with you, you don't have to be scared of that push don't be surprised by it, expect it, because the gospel is dangerous. Because the gospel upends the current world order, it tosses the established things on their head. Notice what Jesus says in verse 31. Many who are first will be last and the last first. The gospel flips everything. The powerful don't have a voice in the kingdom. Jesus says the outcasts, the marginalized, those are the ones that have come. It's not the rich who get into the kingdom. He says it's the poor. And so what he's saying is in my countercultural kingdom, when I rule and reign, those who are top dog right now will actually be on the bottom. He says the gospel is going to flip things, and that's going to make people in power who have money and control, it's going to make them nervous. But that's the beauty of the gospel. Through the church, Jesus changes strangers into family. He changes foreign places into home. He flips the script. Jesus can take where you're at right now, and he can flip it. The thing that you think that is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, Jesus can flip that and turn it into a blessing. 
It's one of the things that I love about him. He can take what we think is the worst thing happening to us and somehow make it into the best thing. He can take our assumptions and surprise us. Because with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus, with this promise of him being king in our hearts and in our lives and our world, all bets are off. It can change everything. So as we come to the end, I think there's two questions we have to think about. What won't you trade to live in love like Jesus? Remember the man at the beginning of the story? He was like, if it came down to my riches or Jesus, I'd pick my riches. Is there something in your life where you're like, if it came down to it, I'd live in love like Jesus up to this point. And then if I had to give up this, if I had to sacrifice this, if I had to do this, all bets are off. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I just wouldn't quit. And what I want to encourage you as you think about that is be honest with yourself. And if you say, you know what, there's something where I wouldn't continue following Jesus if this. I encourage you to really dig into the gospel because it's so good. It can make what you think is bad, what you think if I gave that up, it would cost me too much. It flips it and can actually turn it into something that you're actually thankful for. Actually something that you never thought you'd be excited about, but he can actually bring good from. So first question, what won't you trade to live in love like Jesus? And then the second question as we end, is there something in your life right now that you might see as bad? Something that you might see as a persecution, an attack, something that you might see as stressful, that the gospel, that Jesus might be in the middle of flipping into a blessing that you never Sometimes things come into my life and I'm like, man, that really pisses me off. Like, I hate this. And then what I find is God is suddenly changing my expectations. And he's actually flipping what was something bad into something where I'm like, oh, your hands are all over this. You're doing something good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that your good news is so good. It's still flipping our expectations. You're still taking bad things and turning them into good. You're still taking a bad world and you're transforming it into your kingdom. You're taking bad people, ordinary people, just okay people, and you're making them like yourself, the best person who has ever lived. But I pray that you'll teach us to live and love. You'll teach us that the gospel is so good it's worth any sacrifice. And God, I'm grateful that as a church, we can reflect your grand kingdom design on a small scale. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to reflect that in our personal lives and as a church so that people can see your plans to make the world a better place. And I pray this all like a believe Jesus.